Section 10 of the Journals of Robert Falcon Scott, Volume 1, by Robert Falcon Scott. This is a LibriVox recording. Section 10. Chapter 5. Depot Laying to One Ton Camp. Part 1. Tuesday, January the 24th. People were busy in the hut all last night. We got away at 9 a.m. A boat from the Terra Nova fetched the western party and myself, as the ponies were led out of the camp. Mears and Wilson went ahead of the ponies to test the track. On board the ship I was taken in to see Lily's catch of sea animals. It was wonderful. Quantities of sponges, isopods, pentapods, large shrimps, corals, etc., etc. But the piece de resistance was the capture of several buckets full of cephalodiscus of which only seven pieces had been previously caught. Lily is immensely pleased, feeling that it alone repays the whole enterprise. In the forenoon we skirted the island, getting thirty and forty fathoms of water north and west of Inaccessible Island. With the telescope we could see the string of ponies steadily progressing over the sea ice past the Razorback Islands. As soon as we saw them well advanced, we steamed on to the glacier tongue, the open water extended just round the corner, and the ship made fast in the narrow angle made by the sea-ice with the glacier, her port side flush with the surface of the latter. I walked over to meet the ponies, whilst Campbell went to investigate a broad crack in the sea-ice on the southern road. The ponies were got on to the tongue without much difficulty, then across the glacier, and picketed on the sea-ice close to the ship. Meanwhile Campbell informed me that the big crack was thirty feet across, it was evident we must get past it on the glacier, and I asked Campbell to peg out a road clear of cracks. Oates reported the ponies ready to start again after tea, and they were led along Campbell's road, their loads having already been taken on the floe. All went well until the animals got down on the floe level, and Oates led across an old snowed-up crack. His and the next pony got across, but the third made a jump at the edge, and sank to its stomach in the middle, it couldn't move, and with such struggles as it made it sank deeper, till only its head and forelegs showed above the slush. With some trouble we got ropes on these, and hauled together, pulled the poor creature out, looking very weak and miserable, and trembling much. We led the other ponies round further to the west, and eventually got all out on the floe, gave them a small feed, and started them off with their loads. The dogs, meanwhile, gave some excitement. Starting on hard ice with a light load, nothing could hold them, and they dashed off over everything. It seemed wonderful that we all reached the floe in safety. Wilson and I drive one team, whilst Evans and Mears drive the other. I withhold my opinion of the dogs, in much doubt as to whether they are going to be a real success, but the ponies are going to be real good. They work with such extraordinary steadiness, stepping out briskly and cheerfully, following in each other's tracks. The great drawback is the ease with which they sink in soft snow. They go through in lots of places where the men scarcely make an impression. They struggle pluckily when they sink, but it is trying to watch them. We came with the loads noted below, and one bale of fodder, 105 pounds, added to each sledge. We are camped six miles from the glacier, and two from Hut Point, a cold east wind. Tonight the temperature 19 degrees. Autumn party to start January the 25th, 1911. Twelve men, 
eight ponies, twenty-six dogs. First load estimated five thousand three hundred eighty-five pounds, including fourteen weeks' food and fuel for men, taken to cash number one. Ship transports following to Glacier Tongue. Table of weights. One hundred thirty bales compressed fodder, thirteen thousand six hundred fifty pounds. Twenty-four cases dog biscuit, one thousand four hundred pounds. Ten sacks of oats, one thousand six hundred pounds. Question mark. Total weight, sixteen thousand six hundred fifty pounds. Teams return to ship to transport this load to cache number one. Dog teams also take on five hundred pounds of biscuit from Hut Point. Table of pony sledges. On all sledges, sledge with strap and tank, fifty-two pounds. Pony furniture, twenty-five pounds. Driver's ski and sleeping bag, etc., forty pounds. Sledges numbers one and five. Cooker and primus instruments, forty pounds. Tank containing biscuit, hundred seventy-two pounds. Sack of oats, hundred sixty pounds. Tent and poles, twenty-eight pounds. Alpine rope, five pounds. One oil can and spirit can, fifteen pounds. Total, five hundred thirty-seven pounds. Sledges number two and six. Oil, hundred pounds. Tank contents, food bags, two hundred eighty-five pounds. Ready provision bag, sixty-three pounds. Two picks, twenty pounds. Total, four hundred sixty-eight pounds. Sledges number three and seven. Oil, hundred pounds. Tank contents, biscuit, hundred ninety-six pounds. Sack of oats, hundred sixty pounds. Two shovels, nine pounds. Total, four hundred sixty-five pounds. Sledges numbers four and eight, box with tools, etc., thirty-five pounds, cookers, etc., hundred and five pounds, tank contents, food bags, two hundred fifty-two pounds, sack of oats, hundred sixty pounds, three long bamboos and spare gear, fifteen pounds, total, five hundred sixty-seven pounds. Spare gear per man, two pairs under socks, two pairs outer socks, one pair hair socks one pair night socks, one pyjama jacket, one pyjama trousers, one woolen mitts, two finesco, skein, equals a total of ten pounds, books, diaries, tobacco, etc., two pounds, total twelve pounds. Dress, vest and drawers, woolen shirt, jersey, balaclava, windsuit, two pairs socks, ski boots. Dog sledges, number one. Sledge straps and tanks, fifty-four pounds. Driver's ski and bags, eighty pounds. Cooker primus and instruments, fifty pounds. Tank contents, biscuit, two hundred twenty-one pounds. Alpine rope, five pounds. Lamps and candles, four pounds. Two shovels, nine pounds. Ready provision bag, sixty-three pounds. Sledge meter, two pounds. Total, four hundred eighty-eight pounds. Sledge number two. Sledge straps and tanks, fifty-four pounds. Driver's ski and bags, eighty pounds. Tank contents, food bags, three hundred twenty-four pounds. Tent and poles, thirty-three pounds. Total, four hundred ninety-one pounds. Ten-foot sledge, men's harness, extra tent. Thursday, January the twenty-sixth. Yesterday I went to the ship with the dog team. All went well till the dogs caught sight of a whale breaching in the thirty-foot lead, and promptly made for it. It was all we could do to stop them before we reached the water. Spent the day writing letters and completing arrangements for the ship. 
A brisk northerly breeze sprang up in the night, and the ship bumped against the glacier until the pack came in, as protection from the swell. Ponies and dogs arrived about 1 p.m., and at 5 we all went out for the final start. A little earlier Pennell had the men aft, and I thanked them for their splendid work. They had behaved like bricks, and a finer lot of fellows never sailed in a ship. It was good to get their hearty send-off. Before we could get away, Ponting had his half-hour photographing us, the ponies and the dog-teams. I hope he will have made a good thing of it. It was a little sad to say farewell to these good fellows, and Campbell and his men. I do most heartily trust that all will be successful in their ventures, for indeed their unselfishness and their generous high spirit deserves reward. God bless them. So here we are with all our loads. One wonders what the upshot will be. It will take three days to transport the loads to complete safety. The break-up of the sea-ice ought not to catch us before that. The wind is from the south-east again to-night. Friday, January the 27th, Camp 2. Started at 9.30 and moved a load of fodder three and three-quarter miles south. Returned to camp to lunch then shifted camp and provisions. Our weights are now divided into three loads, two of food for ponies, one of men's provisions, with some ponies' food. It is slow work, but we retreat slowly but surely from the chance of going out on the sea ice. We are camped about a mile south of Cape Armitage. After camping I went to the east till abreast of Pram Point, finding the ice dangerously thin off Cape Armitage. It is evident we must make a considerable detour to avoid danger. The rest of the party went to the discovery hut to see what could be done towards digging it out. The report is unfavourable, as I expected. The drift inside has become very solid. It would take weeks of work to clear it. A great deal of biscuit and some butter, cocoa, etc., was seen, so that we need not have any anxiety about provisions if delayed in returning to Cape Evans. The dogs are very tired to-night. I have definitely handed the control of the second team to Wilson. He was very eager to have it, and will do well, I'm sure, but certainly also the dogs will not pull heavy loads. Five hundred pounds proved a back-breaking load for eleven dogs to-day. They brought it at a snail's pace. Mears has estimated to give them two-thirds of a pound of biscuit a day. I have felt sure he will find this too little. The ponies are doing excellently. Their loads run up to eight hundred and nine hundred pounds, and they make very light of them. Oates said he could have gone on for some time to-night. Saturday, January the 28th, Camp 2. The ponies went back for the last load at Camp 1, and I walked south to find a way round the Great Pressure Ridge. The sea ice south is covered with confused, irregular sastrugi, well remembered from discovery days. The Pressure Ridge is new. The broken ice of the ridge ended east of the spot I approached, and the pressure was seen only in a huge domed wave, the hollow of which, on my left, was surrounded with a countless number of seals. These lay about, sleeping or apparently gambling in the shallow water. I imagine the old ice in this hollow has gone well under, and that the seals have a pool above it, which may be warmer on such a bright day. It was evident that the ponies could be brought round by this route, and I returned to camp to hear that one of the ponies, Kean's, had gone lame. The soldier took a gloomy view of the situation, but he is not an optimist. It looks as though a tendon had been strained, but it is not at all certain. Bower's pony is also weak in the forelegs, but we knew this before. It is only a question of how long he will last. 
The pity is that he is an excellently strong pony otherwise. Atkinson has a bad heel and laid up all day. His pony was tied behind another sledge and went well, a very hopeful sign. In the afternoon I led the ponies out, two and three-quarter miles south to the crossing of the pressure ridge, then east, one and a quarter miles, till we struck the barrier edge and ascended it. Going about half a mile in, we dumped the loads. The ponies sank deep just before the loads were dropped, but it looked as though the softness was due to some rise in the surface. We saw a dark object a quarter of a mile north as we reached the barrier. I walked over and found it to be the tops of two tents, more than half buried, Shackleton's tents, we suppose. A molting emperor penguin was sleeping between them. The canvas on one tent seemed intact, but half stripped from the other. The ponies pulled splendidly to-day, as also the dogs, but we have decided to load both lightly from now on, to march them easily, and to keep as much life as possible in them. There is much to be learnt as to their powers of performance. Kean says, "'Come on, lad, you'll be getting to the pole,' by way of cheering his animal. All the party is cheerful. There never were a better set of people. Sunday, January the 29th, Camp 2. This morning after breakfast I read prayers. Excellent day. Seven good ponies have made two journeys to the barrier, covering eighteen geographical miles, half with good loads. None of them were at all done. Oates's pony, a spirited, nervous creature, got a weird start when his head was left for a moment and charged through the camp at a gallop. Finally his sledge cannoned into another. The swingle-tree broke, and he galloped away, kicking furiously at the dangling trace. Oates fetched him when he had quieted down, and we found that nothing had been hurt or broken but the swingle-tree. Gran tried going on ski with his pony. All went well while he was alongside, but when he came up from the back, the swish of the ski frightened the beast, who fled faster than his pursuer. That is, the pony and load were going better than the Norwegian on ski. Gran is doing very well. He has a lazy pony and a good deal of work to get him along, and does it very cheerfully. The dogs are doing excellently, getting into better condition every day. They ran the first load, one mile twelve hundred yards, past the stores on the barrier, to the spot chosen for safety camp, the big home depot. I don't think that any part of the barrier is likely to go, but it's just as well to be prepared for everything, and our camp must deserve its distinctive title of safety. In the afternoon the dogs ran a second load to the same place, covering over twenty-four geographical miles in the day, an excellent day's work. Evans and I took a load out on foot over the pressure ridge. The camp load alone remains to be taken to the barrier. Once we get to safety camp we can stay as long as we like before starting our journey. It is only when we start that we must travel fast. Most of the day it has been overcast, but to-night it has cleared again. There is very little wind. The temperatures of late have been ranging from nine degrees at night to twenty-four degrees in the day, very easy circumstances for sledging. Monday, January the 30th, Camp 3, Safety Camp. Bearings, latitude 77.55, Cape Armitage, north 64 west. Campbell's hump of blue glacier left, extreme. Castle Rock, north, 40 west. Call the camp at 7.30. Finally left with ponies at 11.30. There was a great deal to do which partly accounts for delays, but we shall have to buck up with our camp arrangement. Atkinson had his foot lanced and should be well in a couple of days. 
I led the lame pony. His leg is not swelled, but I fear he has developed a permanent defect. There are signs of ringbone, and the hoof is split. A great shock came when we passed the depot at fodder and made for this camp. The ponies sank very deep, and only brought on their loads with difficulty, getting pretty hot. The distance was but one and a half miles, but it took more out of them than the rest of the march. We camped and held a council of war after lunch. I unfolded my plan, which is to go forward with five weeks' food for men and animals, to depot a fortnight's supply after twelve or thirteen days, and return here. The loads for ponies, thus arranged, work out a little over six hundred pounds. For the dog-teams, seven hundred pounds, both apart from sledges. The ponies ought to do it easily if the surface is good enough for them to walk, which is doubtful. The dogs may have to be lightened, such as it is. It is the best we can do under the circumstances. This afternoon I went forward on ski to see if the conditions changed. In two or three miles I could see no improvement. Bowers, Garrard, and the three men went and dug out the Nimrod tent. They found a cooker and provisions, and remains of a hastily abandoned meal. One tent was half full of hard ice, the result of thaw. The Wilsden canvas was rotten, except some material used for the doors. The floor-cloth could not be freed. The soldier doesn't like the idea of fetching up the remainder of the loads to this camp with the ponies. I think we will bring on all we can with the dogs, and take the risk of leaving the rest. The Nimrod camp was evidently made by some relief or ship party, and if that has stood fast for so long there should be little fear for our stuff in a single season. Tomorrow we muster stores, build the depot, and pack our sledges. Tuesday, January thirty-first, Camp 3. We have everything ready to start, but this afternoon we tried our one pair of snowshoes on Weary Willie. The effect was magical. He strolled around as though walking on hard ground, in places where he floundered woefully without them. Oates hasn't had any faith in these shoes at all, and I thought that even the quietest pony would need to be practised in their use. Immediately after our experiment I decided that an effort must be made to get more, and within half an hour Mears and Wilson were on their way to the station, more than twenty miles away. There is just the chance that the ice may not have gone out, but it is a very poor one, I fear. At present it looks as though we might double our distance with the snowshoes. Atkinson is better to-day, but not by any means well, so that the delay is in his favour. We cannot start on till the dogs return with or without the shoes. The only other hope for this journey is that the barrier gets harder further out. But I feel that the prospect of this is not very bright. In any case, it is something to have discovered the possibilities of these shoes. Low temperature at night for the first time. Minimum 2.4 degrees quite warm intent. End of chapter 5, part 1